I don't even feel like I need to preach after that last hymn, The Power of the Cross. I think <coughs> if you haven't already got it, guess what the theme, guess where I'm going tonight. Let's see. Are we in March? Are we in February? March? Why? What month? April. Okay, what, usually, what goes on in April that we celebrate? Easter. Easter. Yes, Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, April comes around, and we often think much of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, all those, those four really key doctrines. We think of that time of year in April. And so... I thought, what better time, a few times I have during this month to come to you with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Easter theme, and tonight that's where we'll be, that's <coughs> the themes of the hymns tonight and the power of the cross, tremendous theology that we just sang about. Um, so tonight, you see the reactions to the death of Christ. I think we'll read the text as we come to the, each text tonight, okay? Um, Father, I pray that you would help me tonight as I just need your grace, physically, spiritually, and to be able to encourage these folks from your powerful word that you've left us, your love letter to us. We'll praise you and thank you. <coughs> For your word tonight in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen. So this is a brief passage, and it presents two reactions to the death of Jesus Christ. Both of them positive. Both of them positive. And folks that are tuning into live stream, good evening. Glad you're with us and hope it's an encouragement to you tonight also. Um, two responses. The first I haven't read the text yet, but the first was by the centurion and his fellow soldiers who stood at the foot of the cross. And the second response was by the women and actually standing a distance off. Now, there is another response, a third response, at the same time by the unbelieving crowd. And it's actually recorded in the Gospel of Luke. There is actually a fourth response also. I'm not covering the third and fourth tonight, but a fourth response by the fearful disciples, and which is actually, if you read the Gospels, all four of them, it's implied by all of them, the fearfulness of the disciples. And those reactions are actually representative of the reactions men have made to God throughout history. And they have a powerful and they have a practical application even for our own time. So, <clears throat> without further ado, let's go ahead and go to our first point tonight. The first response is one of saving faith. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and... <clears throat> Turn to Matthew chapter 27, 
And we'll look at verse 54 to start out with. First response is one of saving faith. Verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake. This is what's going on. Just put yourself right there with them. They're watching Jesus on the cross. They saw the earthquake and those things that were done. They feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. Wow. What is going on here? These guys just crucified Him. Now they're calling Him the Son of God. Let's think about this verse and who these people are first. As the title might suggest, a centurion is from a Latin word meaning 100. It was a military officer in charge of how many men? (laughs) You guys are smart tonight. Uh, 100, you are right. 100 men. That was a very important rank to be in charge of 100 men. This officer had been given the responsibility of supervising the three crucifixions of that day. There were crucifixions almost every day of criminals. They were in charge that day, the day that Jesus was crucified. <coughs> and it's likely that he and the other soldiers who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, had been in the practorium where he was first brought there by the Jewish leaders. The practorium is where everything was going on, the trial. Um, okay, where are you? You are the soldiers at the foot of the cross. You've just crucified Jesus. You're watching him. You're seeing the earthquakes and all these other things going on. They may have been these men. You've got to figure out these men. These men may have been with a cohort of Roman soldiers who actually <coughs> accompanied the chief priests and the elders to the Garden of Gethsemane, where they took who? Jesus. Where they took, actually arrested Jesus. These men at the foot of the cross, (coughs) they were obviously, they had heard the charges brought against him by those leaders and had also heard Pilate's declaration of Jesus' innocence of any crime against Rome. This is what they heard. This is what the Gospels teach us. These men at the foot of the cross staring at Jesus, whom they just put up there, they maybe even have overheard the conversation between Pilate and Jesus about Jesus saying, I'm the king of the Jews. You're a king? I'm the king of the Jews. Those soldiers staring at Jesus. They probably helped in Jesus' scourging, in placing the crown of thorns on his head. Probably they were the very men that taunted him, and probably with that scepter, 
these men at the cross, looking at him, they're probably the men that beat him over the head with the scepter. On Golgotha, these men understand the gravity of this. These men put him on the cross. These men on Golgotha, they had nailed him to the cross. <coughs> These men gambled for what? His clothes. They gambled for his clothes. They jeered at him while he hung there in agony. If you're the Son of God, come down. These men, if they were from the garrison of Pilate's headquarters in Caesarea, they probably had little knowledge of Judaism. If you know what Judaism is all about tonight, it is a (coughs) faith plus works. The same thing that the missionary was talking about Sunday. Faith in Christ plus do all these works. Judaism basically false heresy. They, these men probably had no previous knowledge at all about Jesus Christ. If they knew anything of Jesus' teachings or activities, guess what? They probably thought, it's heresy. Look at him. Look at them. Seriously, folks. That's what they're thinking. They're involved in this. Another criminal. Day after day after day. These men, (coughs) these soldiers, this centurion, they were at the cross. Why? Simply because it was their duty to make certain the execution was carried out properly and without any interference. Now, that's the centurion and these men at the foot of the cross. <clears throat> because now, now, because Pilate had announced Jesus' innocence, <clears throat> well, this guy's no threat to Rome. Because if Pilate has talked to him and had him through trial, and he says he's innocent, <clears throat> he's no threat to Rome. But because the governor finally consented to his crucifixion, this centurion, these soldiers, they had no choice. It's like, I won't move around too much. Every time I move around, I see. Beth Ann, and I, I don't think I see Hannah back there moving around too much, but I move and she gets up. It's kind of fun, actually. I move and she moves, but actually she's, she's going to sit down like, that's it, I'm not following him anymore. <clears throat> <clears throat> they were there to do what they were supposed to do. Here's your orders. Day after day, it's like, go in, get your orders, Here's your orders for work. Son Daniel started a new job this week. Landscaping. A lot of guys checking in at 6, 7 in the morning and getting out there and doing landscaping all over. And they give him orders. And 
These guys show up and they got their orders and they had no choice, even if he's innocent and Pilate said he's innocent, to carry out those duties. To those men, Jesus was no more than a bizarre figure who apparently made a foolish and harmless claim to be some sort of religious king. But, as we read verse 54, (coughs) the fourth hour of his crucifixion began. It was intense. They're out there, at the foot of the cross. Probably blood on them. Maybe try to wash it off and on their garments and sweating. Crucifixion's hard work for them. Several things happened to change the soldiers' attitude and thinking about day after day after day. They were crucifying men and using them to be examples. Don't do these crimes like they do, or you'll be up here yourself. (coughs) Something started happening to change their attitude. The first thing to unnerve them would have been the sudden darkness. So it got dark last yesterday early, didn't it? What happened? At least at our house a mile down the road. How about your house? Did you get a storm? Not quite used to the storms down here. A lot of rain and wind came. Darkness, we start talking, storm's coming. When it got dark, it, because it's like, it's not supposed to get dark yet. So when the darkness came, they knew something was happening. <coughs> They would not have been aware of the tearing of the temple veil and probably not, probably not the opening of the graves. Which was, I mean, my goodness, if you're driving down the road, there's a church right down the road has a graveyard in it. And um, they have a fence up there. I think, you know why they have the fence up there? People are dying to get in. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, no, could you imagine driving by there and seeing graves moved and people up and walking around? It would be, yes. They could not escape noticing the earthquake. How about we walk out and some of your cars are gone because the black pavement just opens up and there's this massive earthquake out there and it swoops up Danny's electric car and some of your other ones and you they they're like noticing it gets dark they don't know about the graves opening they don't know about the tearing of the veil the earthquake they do splitting of rocks that was a terrifying experience even for the hardened soldier and here's a centurion he's a commander over a hundred men you don't get to that position unless you are one tough dude, one tough guy. And he was. Now, the text says this about them. It says they feared, and there's an adverb here, greatly. <clears throat> Folks, the Greek word for feared is phobia. And it's a term from which we get our English word 
phobia. Okay, so not hard there. And it's actually talking about sheer terror or an absolute panic that causes rapid heartbeat, profuse sweating, and extreme anxiety. If you had this type of fear, we'd be asking the, the, the medical people here to come check you out and maybe call 911 for an ambulance. That's the type of fear we're talking about here, folks. It is the verb form of the word used by Matthew actually to describe the disciples' response when they see Jesus walking on the water. Remember that scene, folks? They seen him, and they were greatly afraid. They thought he was a ghost. They didn't know what was going on. They were afraid. It is also the word used to describe the reaction of Peter, James, and John when they seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were afraid, folks. This context in Matthew 27, the context and the circumstances of the passage, they clearly teach that the centurion and his men, tough, rugged soldiers, everyday crucified men, they were greatly afraid of much more, much more, It wasn't just the darkness, the earthquake. There was something else more powerful. (coughs) I wanted to walk you through what these men have been through with Jesus and everything they walked through. They were probably part of the whole scenario that we read about. These men sensed that those awesome natural phenomena had a supernatural origin to them. And their primary fear was not of those events themselves, but actually of the divine power behind the darkness, behind the earthquake, behind the graves opening up. There is this divine power behind it all. (coughs) Their emotional fear soon turned to spiritual, reverential awe. Remember, From the very beginning, we're talking to these men are where? They're at the foot of the cross, looking at Jesus, watching the earthquake, seeing the darkness. They're in the midst of the wind blowing and the the craziness of the atmosphere and everything going on around them, the environment, circumstances. But it turns to a spiritual, reverential awe as the fact that they did not run for their lives or find a place for safety. Think about it. Crucify three guys. This one's pretty radical, everything we've heard in the last 24 hours while we're crucifying him. (coughs) The world is coming apart Run for the praetorium. Men, retreat. Get to safety. What did they do? They said, looking at Jesus, truly, this was the Son of God. 
Mark 15, now the Gospel tells us that it was the centurion who actually spoke the words. But here in Matthew 27, Matthew makes it clear that he spoke for all the men as well. All of a sudden, all of them realized that Jesus was not deluded, not deranged. Jesus was not crazy, but was indeed who the Jews had accused him to be. He was the Son of God. Now, folks, they knew they stood in the presence of one somehow related to deity. Did they have it all together? They probably didn't even really know who this man was 24 hours before. They've got, they've got a lot of tasks involved in their lives, and especially crucifying men and women every day. For Rome, examples of what crime will do for you. I could really go off on a rabbit trail. I won't. You know, Singapore is one of the countries in the world. I just said I won't. Less crime at all. I mean, if you throw a gum wrapper down, you might be put in jail. Or if you take an apple, your hand might get cut off. Uh, there's penalty for crime. But these men, this is all they knew. When, when Jesus comes around, they're not thinking, oh my goodness, how can we put him up there? How can we spit in his face? How can we beat him with the scepter? How can we mock him? How can we put the crown, throwing the crowns on his head? This is Jesus Christ. Some God, they're not thinking that at all. They punched in for the day, got their duty, went and did their duty, and they crucified these three men. <clears throat> now, at this point, as all this supernatural stuff is going on, they didn't run for their lives. <coughs> the soldiers start getting the picture that there is something much bigger here. God, there is a God at work, supernaturally at work. The soldiers' fear gives witness to their awareness of sin, and they're all, actually, as they're looking at Jesus, they're all, truly this was the Son of God. They're all gives witness to their being confronted by God's holiness and His righteousness. It reminds me, folks, of a passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Where Isaiah is confronted, folks, with the awesome holiness of God's judgment and condemnation. And he's just confronted with it, and he's overwhelmed by God's awesomeness. Now, I'm going to get a little radical for you folks, okay? This sometimes, this is Brian's sanctified suggestion. And you can think about it. Folks, there is a possibility <clears throat> that the soldiers' confession of Jesus' deity gives witness to the possibility of their salvation. It didn't say they were saved, but I said there's a possibility. They're looking at him and they're, they're confessing. They just, they just crucified this man as a criminal. Now they're saying, this man is truly the Son of God. <coughs> <clears throat> Think about it, folks. Both their fear and their confession were spiritual responses to Jesus Christ, 
They weren't fearful necessarily of the earthquake, the darkness, the graves opening up. They understood there was a supernatural God working through this one they crucified. From Luke, from Dr. Luke, we learn that the centurion and probably the other soldiers as well not only confessed Jesus as deity, but also they glorified God. Folks, the deep conviction of the men is seen in the word truly. God doesn't waste a word, does he? True. They could have said, hey guys, I think this is a, I think, I think well, everything we've been hearing the last few hours and prep, you know, prep, prep before we crucify these men, we've heard some about this guy, and, and I think it must be true, possibly. They're like, truly, we are convinced this is the Son of God. <coughs> <coughs> And the declaration, truly this was the Son of God, maybe became for them a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I don't always like to read between the lines. I would imagine if every one of you gave your salvation testimony tonight, there would be some different nuances in how you come to Christ. But they would all involve you understanding your sinfulness before a holy, righteous God. And you need to confess your sin and trust in the gift He has given through His Son, Jesus Christ, by grace, free grace, by faith that He would forgive you and save you. That happens differently in all of our lives with the same components, folks. And I'm wondering if it happened to these men. Maybe, folks, I'd love to get people thinking. Maybe, folks, this Gentile and his men came to faith beneath the dead Savior's cross. Isn't that radical to think about? The gracious, profound words of Jesus that they heard, his humble, self-giving character, his complete lack of anger through this whole difficult, torturous crucifixion. No retaliation. I wonder if all this worked in their hearts as soldiers. Their faith teaches that his grace extends to every sinner. Even to those that are standing there at the foot of the cross that put him to death. If he can forgive them, he can forgive you and I, can't he? His prayer in chapter 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them. Did it go unanswered? Man, it was answered. First, one of the thieves beside him who had been jeering at Christ, he actually turns the faith in him, doesn't he? Right? One of the two thieves beside him actually turns to Christ in faith. 
now, after Jesus breathes his last, the men who had beaten, taunted, and crucified Jesus, they turned to him and were possibly forgiven and saved at that point. Let me say something else to you. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 12, 32? And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. <clears throat> Folks, I'm proposing maybe the very men who in unbelief had literally lifted him up from the earth to crucify him had been drawn to him in repentance and faith. Let me give you the second response, which is much shorter. But I left you with, go home and think about this. Don't be too disturbed by it. I didn't say it's fact, but I say it's a possibility. The second response we see here in the text, in verses 55 and verse 56, turn to your Bibles. And look at verse 55 and verse 56. This is involving women now. we got a number of women in here tonight, so you're going to love this section. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee ministering unto him. That's what they were doing. Among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's, what? Children. Children. <clears throat> so, we see the second response here. <clears throat> Unlike the soldiers we just looked at, we're looking at Christ on the cross, who went from unbelief, damnation, to possibly belief and salvation, the many women there who were there were already believers, folks. Now, we know from John's account, the Gospel of John, that some of the women had earlier been at the foot of the cross. But maybe because they could not bear to see the suffering of Jesus so closely, the text says those women were now looking on him from a distance. I don't know how far. But they were not at the foot of the cross anymore, folks. You see those little details as you study. Their grief was deep. And their hopes absolutely seemed shattered. But there's a tremendous application here to see what was going on in these women's hearts. They were loyal, devoted, even though Jesus had died. Devoted loyalty is a mark of godly women. Spiritual women are loyal even in the face of ridicule and danger. Remember that except for John, the rest of the disciples, were they there? Were they at the foot of the cross? Were they maybe afar off watching like these women? And they were out of there. They fled in fear, folks. Even Peter, 
who worked up enough courage to follow Jesus at a distance to the house of Caiaphas was nowhere to be found at the cross. Now, we do not know the number of women who were there. But Matthew, we think couple sometimes as we read the text, Matthew speaking of them as probably many, many, there might have been a dozen women there. I don't know. These women were those who followed Jesus from Galilee, and the text actually said, and ministered unto him. So throughout his ministry, how long did he minister? For 20 years, was it? or Three. Okay. Thanks. Thinking tonight, these women followed him and ministered and served him along the way. They ministered graciously and lovingly to Jesus and the twelve with their financial resources. Some of these women were very wealthy, with their talents, very gifted women, and with their hospitality. You know, some, one of his favorite house, said Sunday school member, a couple, two, two sisters and a uh, brother. Good. Yes, with their hospitality. One of his favorite homes. Probably. I will tell you, there's some great men that cook. Can you cook in here? Any men can cook in here? Raise your hand so I can come to your house. I want to taste your food. Probably many meals were prepared by those faithful women. Women are great cooks. They just really are. Most of them. Um, The word in our text here, the word ministering, translates diakonia, which has the basic meaning of serving, folks, of serving. It is the verb form of the noun from which we get deacon. That's where that word comes from, deacon. Deacon is one that serves tables, serves, cares for, ministers. Those women by the cross were the primary believing eyewitnesses to Jesus' crucifixion. And a woman, <coughs> a woman was the first person to see our Lord after his resurrection. <coughs> Who were the women at the cross? Who were the women mentioned? Well, Mary Magdalene. Who was Mary Magdalene? Remember, Jesus had cast out seven demons from her in Luke chapter 8. She was there. Um, Another woman, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. This James was one of the apostles and was commonly referred to as James the Less, or James the son of Alphaeus, to distinguish him from the other James, who with Peter and his brother John actually formed the the inner circle of the twelve disciples. Um, The third woman, now catch these. I'm going to give you another ridiculous scenario. I don't usually love to give ridiculous scenarios. I love to stay right with the exposition of the text but I'm going to throw something out that seems a little ridiculous, but who knows. Um, 
Here's a third woman. She is identified as Salome by Mark. The Gospel of Mark, you'd have to run over there and find that. But is referred to here by Matthew simply as a mother of the sons of Zebedee, or in other words, Zebedee's wife, his wife. Who were the sons of Zebedee? James and James and John. And do you remember what their nickname was by Jesus? Jesus nicknamed them. <laughs> Sons of Thunder, wouldn't they be fun to go fishing with or golfing with or <laughs> go to uh, Top Golf with James and John? Wow. Sons of Thunder. And then, folks, you have to read the text to understand. It wasn't just, there could have been a dozen women. There were other women. From John's Gospel, we learn that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was also at the cross. Now, here's where I'm going to stretch a little bit as I close up for application. And it is, let me tell you, it's about as much as I've ever stretched for application. <coughs> but it, just call it sanctified suggestion. And I didn't even put it up on PowerPoint because I don't want it to stick really too much. The first of the three women Matthew mentions was not married. The second was identified by her children. And the third, she was identified by her husband, Zebedee. What can we learn from this? I'll tell you, all categories of women can freely serve Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Ever. All categories of women hurting, abused, no matter where you have been in life, all categories of women can freely serve Jesus Christ. God has a blessed role for women. He has gifted women that are single. Understand, if you're single here tonight, He has gifted you so greatly. Man, I watched Megan play the piano in Sunday school, and I'm not kidding. I'm like, God, thank you for her. I appreciate her, you know, single lady, so gifted at the piano. And you look at a mother there that has children, and whether she has children or not, so gifted at the piano and serving. God uses single women. He uses faithful mothers. He uses women that are faithful wives. He uses women, period. He got some of the most godly women in this church and this body of believers here. I'm so thankful to know you. Now, men, notice who were absent from the scene at the cross, men. The twelve, except John. All the men are gone. The women are there. The men are gone. I'm just sorry, guys. It preaches, kind of, maybe. Judas, where was Judas? He's dead. Judas had the tenacity to commit suicide, right? The other ten were just hiding. Phobos, phobia, were, they, they have the tenacity. They're, they're scared. They're not all of God's supernatural power. They're just running for their lives. They're scared during the Lord's greatest time of need. They had temporarily violated the basic principle of discipleship. And here it is, folks. Matthew 10, 38. Jesus says, and he that taketh not his cross 
and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, I know that's progressive. It's not a positional situation. Men, at this time, the disciples not only did not have the courage to risk bearing their own crosses, but not even have the courage to stand with their Lord as he bore his, as he bore his cross. Today and tomorrow, and as the next day comes, we all, men and women, children, single individual, mothers, wives, people of God, we just get up and we get with our Lord and we ask Him to give us courage, strength, and faith to make it through each day, serving Him, ministering unto Him. He's not on the cross. He's alive in heaven now. And we have an opportunity to have very good reactions like the centurion and his soldiers. And like these dear precious women, folks, this month, this Easter, this year, may the reactions to the cross this Easter be of faith and loyalty. May you be faithful and may you be loyal to Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this text. It's not just a resurrection Sunday text or an Easter text. It is an explanation of circumstances and events around the cross, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, and how people responded, lost people, possibly coming to faith through repentance and all of their sin in a holy God. And then women that had already come to your son Jesus in saving faith, they were followers daily cooking and ministering and serving their Lord. And right up until the time he died as a, the God-man to pay the penalty of sin, they were there. Thank you for these examples from your word for us to see and contemplate and think about and pray about. And Father, we ask for good application of this exposition in our lives this week, this season in April, and this year in our lives. May we be like these women. May we pick up our cross daily in a sanctified manner. May we pick it up daily in your strength and be loyal and faithful and follow after you. And you'll give us the strength, the courage, the grace to be able to accomplish that daily. Thank you for this Wednesday night. As Pastor Carl said, we, um, day we need to be encouraged as brothers and sisters, as your people, as the church of God. We thank you and praise you for your word. This text tonight, we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.